1: The following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised.
2: And it contains murder, lots and lots of murder. Stinking bastard! People tell
1: me you're gonna
0: go die and go to hell. I think I'm all for
1: 911, emergency. Oh, this is are pretty one look. What's in it
0: the
2: police. Police. And again, don't be a hero, mate. And I said, I'm not trying to be a hero, but
1: the police are coming. One in the chest, one in the hip. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out, that's when the cannibalism started, eating of the heart and uh the arm muscle. Oh, I will nail Carl Williams and he just got copied tails and just and just pull out his backside. Carl Williams is a one-week bottom ribbon.
2: Cherub face, cherub face little boy who is who, 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 alive with me. I harm someone each time I
1: kill someone to be an enormous amount of especially at first. An enormous amount of, of, of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that
2: impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. A dispute over a fence line between neighbours Kevin Scahill and Darren Lorke escalated when punches were thrown. Alcohol and some covert surveillance exasperated the situation to the point where a fake gun and a real knife led to murder.
1: Teenagers Rachel Wade and Sarah Lutterman hated each other's guts. They were both in what they thought was a relationship with a fuckboy named Josh Camacho who encouraged them to fight over him. Their feud started on social media, then escalated to threatening phone calls, and culminated in a violent confrontation that would leave one of them dead.
2: Hi, I'm Barney Black. And
1: I'm Tara Saraband, And
2: this is a special patron-only episode of Bloody Murder. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by you. Our wonderful, generous, beautiful and sexy patrons.
1: We really couldn't do this without you, our beloved bloody buddies.
2: Bloody buddies, hey?
1: Yeah, you like that?
2: Mm, I, I do, I don't mind it. Now, just a little business before we get started. If you are a patron at the $5 or above level and you haven't received your stickers and handmade Barney badges yet... It may well be because you haven't sent us your postal address.
1: So, yeah, if that's you, please email us at bloodymurderpodcast at gmail.com if you want to get your paws on some sweet, sweet Barney DNA.
2: Uh, That's right. You can claim me and frame me for murder and all that.
1: I know. Wouldn't it be great if you could get framed for murders in every country on earth?
2: At the same time. Yes. And you'd have alibis because I was committing the murder in Australia. How could I commit <laughs> a murder in America?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, put that in your pipe and smoke it, authorities.
2: <laughs> wow. Fuck the police. You yeah. Fuck the Yeah. Popo. Just thumb your nose. At the,
1: You're it, doing it now. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, it's good. That's like. Yeah, the, it's visual. Biggie. Visual stuff's good visual. on a podcast, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is good.
1: Yeah. Oh, how do, how do you like this slapstick?
2: Hey, that was fantastic. How did you do cartwheels like that?
1: Uh, Well, from a seating position, obviously. Yeah, and the headphones
2: did not even come off.
1: No, and I didn't drop the Fabergé egg.
2: (laughs) Well, one plopped out. Oh, Uh, I didn't notice. Anyway, Tara, I believe it's time for you to get murdery.
1: Sarah Rose Lutterman was born on December 7th, 1990. Her nurse mother Gay and taxi driver father Charlie had been married for 16 years before they had their only child.
2: Her mother was Gay?
1: Yes, Barney. Her
2: name was Gay?
1: Yes, Barney. Oh. Sarah had a close relationship with her parents and a stable home life. She was a bit of a tomboy who always wore shorts and she was also a bit of a daddy's girl too. She and her father Charlie would go to karate class and football games together. They also loved pumping up the radio in Charlie's taxi and singing along to country music songs. Sarah adored animals and wanted to be a vet when she left school. Sarah attended high school at Tarpon Springs as it had a well-respected veterinary medicine course.
2: Was it taught by Ace Ventura?
1: Well, at one point, but after they realised he was just a pet detective, he got the arse.
2: Well, you really.
1: <laughs> you know, or under yeah. depending on who you're talking to. Mm. For Sarah to get to class on time, she had to get up at Sparrow's Fart while it was still dark and commute for over an hour. Sporty, tall and attractive, Sarah was a good student who always adhered to her 11pm curfew and had lots of friends, all of whom were dating by the time they turned 16. Now, being the only girl in your social circle without a boyfriend can make you feel like a fat, ugly loser when you're that age, and I would know.
2: I feel like it now. <laughs> well, at least you had some good years. Uh, did I? Yeah. yeah. Did I, Tara, though? In
1: high school. Come on, weren't you? Did I? You had girlfriends in high school and stuff. I had
2: a couple, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Come on. You're a Barney Pants fan. Hey, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, well...
1: So all of her friends had boyfriends and, you know, they kind of put pressure on you, like, why don't you get a boyfriend too?
2: <laughs> That's a lovely voice.
1: Yeah. I mean, God forbid that you're frigid or something. Oh, shit. Do you remember, Barney, do you remember the ludicrous frigid test that I'm pretty sure I learned about from kids in primary school?
2: Uh, there's a frigid test?
1: Yeah, the frig- Maybe it was like a, a northern New South Wales thing or something. I think it was if you flinched while some boy ran a finger down the middle of your face and your whole body, it meant that you were frigid. And frigid was hmm. bad for some reason. Yeah, frigid's
2: where, bad. Apparently. Where the fuck
1: did that come from? Trying to make preteen girls not frigid. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Fuck me. I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah. Yeah, fuck. Anyway, I really do wonder where the fuck that came from.
2: I believe Sylvia Plath started it.
1: I'm pretty sure it wasn't started by a woman, let alone Ms Plath, although it would explain why she topped herself. Maybe living with the legacy of making, like, prepubescent girls scared of being frigid was just too much for her to bear.
2: Well, I'd stick my head in an oven to stop being frigid. (laughs) Oh, God, did it work? I wonder if kids still do the frigid test today.
1: Oh, God, probably. But they'd post it on TikTok, and now instead of someone running a finger down your body, it's probably about hiding, like, three Fabergé eggs somewhere inside your person.
2: Only three? I don't mean to brag, but my boys could fit at least 12.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. I'm pretty sure Kylie Jenner started that. One afternoon during the summer after 10th grade, Sarah and her friend Amber went to get their fried bird on at a Chick-fil-A. A cute boy who worked in the greasy chicken kitchen came out of the back on his break. According to Amber, he winked at Sarah and she just fell in love with him right then. Hey, baby. He said his name was Josh and he'd be a senior at Pinellas Park High School that year. He was two years older than Sarah and she thought his wispy chocolate milk moustache was dreamy.
2: (sighs) Hey, baby, my name's Josh.
1: (laughs) And really hurt. Two months later, Sarah told her parents she wasn't sure that she still wanted to be a vet when she grew up But what she did know for sure was that she wanted to transfer to Pinellas Park High School And they let her Well, you know, Tarpon Springs High was tainted after the whole Ace Ventura incident
2: Absolutely
1: Sarah popped into Chick-fil-A to flirt with Josh throughout the summer But later when she'd see him at school, he'd pretty much just ghost her
2: That's not very nice
1: Yeah in November, Sarah and Josh started dating, but Josh wasn't into PDAs at all. Sarah's friend Amber said he would never hold her hand or walk with her, but when they were alone, he was all over her. Well, Josh wouldn't want his girlfriend cramping his style now, would he? Indeed. Josh was Sarah's first boyfriend and her first, well, everything. She was quite sure roosters crowed in the morning to worship the sun that shone out of his ass,
2: Like you do with me.
1: Exactly like that, Barney. Indeed. Sarah had always been very well behaved, but not after Josh came on the scene. In the first six months they were together, Sarah was embroiled in several public altercations and was interviewed by the cops six times. There were also reports of Sarah screaming at Josh's baby mama in a shopping centre car park.
2: Wait, what? Is Josh's mother a baby?
1: Yes. And did I not mention that Dreamboat Josh had a baby? Ah oh. Well, don't worry. as It's not like he paid child support or anything. Uh,
2: so what? How old is he?
1: Um, He would have been around 19 at this point.
2: And he's already got a baby with another girl. Yeah. Ooh.
1: Ooh, hot. Yeah. Sarah and Josh would also get into screaming matches in public, and once Josh even punched her in the face.
2: Oh, that's not cool. No, that's f-
1: incredibly abusive. Not cool, Josh. Her parents wanted her to press charges, but Sarah refused to do it. Sarah's friends were worried about the control Josh had over her, particularly when Sarah started wearing pants. See, Sarah was a girl who always wore shorts, even in winter, but Josh demanded that she wear long pants now, even in the hot weather, because he didn't want other guys looking at her legs.
2: Well, that's very controlling. Did she wear jorts? She used to wear jorts?
1: She would have worn jorts, I imagine, in, and- in, the, in the summer and the winter. Um, but I guess now she had to wear um, long jorts or what people call jeans.
2: I just call them long jorts.
1: I imagine that you would. I'm
2: wearing long jorts now.
1: You are currently wearing long jorts. Yes, they're black. Wow. Very fetching, Barney. They're,
2: they're actually dark blue.
1: Josh also started telling Sarah who she could and couldn't be friends with. Hmm. Controlling asshole is controlling. Sarah started spending all of her time with Josh and was terrified of losing him. In an effort to keep him interested, she lost thirty pounds, which is fifteen kilos for our Aussie listeners. That's a lot. I know that's quite substantial. Her friend Amber said she knew he was owning her, but she never thought to leave him. If she'd had other boyfriends, she would have known how it feels to break up and get over it. Ah, uh, I don't know, Amber. I'm pretty shit with every breakup. <laughs>
2: Well, you can have three months of really bad time or you can you can just stick with them and the rest of your life's rubbish.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, yes. I remember trying to trying to extricate myself from a very horrible relationship and um, what got stuck in my head was um, there was a, an election in the US and it was like, four more years, four more years. And I was like, no, four mm. more years, no, because it had been four years. Like, no. So what did you do?
2: Did you just start a podcast with him?
1: Uh, yeah, then I started a podcast with him and, well... <laughs> She fucking fucking hated me after that. (laughs) Josh considered himself to be a gangster, so Sarah tried to act like one too. She had a bunch of pictures on her phone of Josh smoking weed, much gangster, and posing with a gun. Oh, he's just so fucking gangster. Sarah turned her back on her beloved country music and started listening to bitch smackin' rap.
2: Ah, Weird Al Jankovic.
1: Oh, if only it was Weird Al. At least he's funny. In an effort to impress Josh, she even tried to convince her dad to get her a pit bull, but he was like, fuck off. He called Josh the rat and told his only daughter that he wasn't good enough for her, and Sarah's friends would tell her this too.
2: Yeah, they're all right.
1: They are all right. But her dad, Charlie, said she was in love. You can't do nothing about a teenage girl in love.
2: Mm, yeah, indeed. That's
1: pretty damn true. Figuring if he couldn't beat him, he should join him, Charlie had Josh over for dinner and took him to ball games, trying to instil in him a desire to look after Sarah.
2: Mm, Ball games.
1: Charlie told Josh, don't let nothing happen to her. But Josh considered himself to be a player, and a player's got to play. After being together for over a year and Josh telling Sarah regularly that she was the only one for him, the fuckhead fuckboy kept cheating on her with his ex-girlfriend Rachel Wade, amongst others. And Rachel had been texting Sarah to let her know she was hooking up with Josh again. Um, thanks, Rachel? Rachel Wade was born on February 27, 1990 to an assistant teacher mum and a truck driver dad. She had an older brother and grew up in the same neighbourhood as Sarah, though they were never friends. Rachel's parents said she was a happy kid who was obsessed with Disney and being a princess. Much like yourself, Barney. I still am. Rachel's mum, Janet, said her tiny, petite, blonde daughter was always making friends and commanding attention. All the girls wanted to be like her. All the boys liked her. Since her teens, Rachel had been a bit of a tear away. When she was 15, the cops were called to her house because she and her dad, Barry, were arguing so loudly. Barry said she had a 10pm curfew, but she wanted to stay out all night. I kept telling her nothing good ever happens after midnight. Indeed. That's when Barney gets asked to leave bars because he's being too lovely.
2: That's true. That did happen.
1: Rachel ran away from home frequently. She'd crash at friends' houses or apartment complex pools. She was also 15 when police found her doing it in a car with a 19-year-old guy. He was subsequently charged with a felony sex offence.
2: Mm, statutory rape. That's it. Mm.
1: Preferring boyfriends to homework, Rachel ditched school in the 10th grade, got her GED, and worked as a waitress at Applebee's to pay the rent on her own apartment. Sarah struggled to think she could possibly compete with this cliched smokin' hot girl who had her own car and her own place, while Sarah was still carless and living by her 11pm curfew. Despite the fact she'd have no trouble finding a new boyfriend, Rachel was completely hooked on Josh Camacho. Perhaps it was because as he was five foot five, she and Josh could nearly see eye to eye. Well, maybe she enjoyed the fact that he was a whirling dervish of bullshit drama. Maybe she had a fetish for scrawny little fuckboys. Or perhaps she thought it was really cool that he had his surname Camacho tattooed across his back in inch-high letters.
2: Well, isn't it that thing, you know, like, uh, don't you know who I am?
1: Yeah, and what you're supposed to, um, if they say, if they act a bit confused or say no, you just whip off your shirt and turn around.
2: Well, that's right. I mean, normally (laughs) you yell back to them... Help this man. He doesn't know who he is, but he could just take his shirt off.
1: (laughs) Yeah, look, unless it's to help identify your dead body. I just don't see the point of having your own name tattooed. It's a little
2: bit narcissistic.
1: Well, the only person that comes to mind that has it is Rod Stewart's son, Sean. Sean Stewart has it tattooed on his uh, body somewhere.
2: I had a friend who uh, in his apartment, he had lots of photos, but they were just of him. Are fucking kidding me? No. Nah. Do and I know it, him? There wasn't other people in the photo too. Just was photos just, of himself? Yeah, at different ages.
1: Wow, why didn't he just have like mirrored wallpaper or something? Yeah. Do I know him? Yeah. While seeing both Sarah and Rachel, Josh also hooked up with a teenage girl who he'd had a son with. He called her my baby mama because he's super cool like that. He sometimes spent time with his son but didn't pay any child support. In high school, Josh worked in the kitchen of a couple of fried chicken joints. After he graduated from high school, he seemingly retired from the workforce and from studying. He didn't go to university or work or have a car or a steady place to live. He usually just stayed with families or at the house of the girl he was honouring by banging. Josh is what TLC would call a scrub. And you know what? I don't want no scrubs. For myself, I... Or for Sarah or Rachel. No scrubs for any of us, I say.
2: My friend Chris would call him a bum. (laughs) He's a bum. He's a bum. He's a bit of a bum. Burn that bridge. Yeah.
1: Mm. Lil Gangster Josh got off on girls fighting over him. It made him feel five foot six tall. Josh would say things to the girls he was seeing like, well, if you want to be with me, then you'll fight her for me. Two women enter, one woman leaves. This guy's dick is like Thunderdome.
2: That's a weird shape for a penis.
1: Well, you could fit a lot of Fabergé eggs in it, though, couldn't you? Well, how many
2: Fabergé eggs do you have?
1: I don't personally have any that you can see.
2: I have 12, but you already knew that.
1: I did, and I know where you keep them. Josh and Rachel had been seeing each other on and off before Sarah came along. He kept cheating on Rachel, so she kept breaking up with him. But then he started seeing Sarah, and so he cheated on Sarah with Rachel, often staying at her flat, even when they were supposedly broken up. You hear that? That's Lisa Left Eye Lopez rolling both of her eyes from beyond the grave. I can hear that. Yeah, she don't want no scrubs. I will never understand what either girl saw in Joshy Boy, but he dug that Rachel had her own apartment and pretty much moved in with her. Of course, he didn't help pay the rent. In fact, he scabbed off her, getting her to pay for his toxic wasteland of an existence. What a moocher! Ah, oh, big time mooching bum. That's the name of your fourth album. It is. A few months after Rachel and Josh started dating again, she saw a photo on MySpace of Josh with Sarah Luderman. Rachel wrote to Josh on his MySpace on June 17th, 2008. When we first met, I was madly in love, but since then, things have changed. You call me names, you slept around, I deserve so much better. Sarah commented on Rachel's post saying that Josh had found better with her. Shots were fired!
2: Oh, cannonballs across your bow.
1: Oh, so many. Rachel managed to get her hands on Sarah's mobile number and left a delightful message for her. You want to know what she said?
2: I, I really do.
1: You're fucking with me when you fuck with Josh. Seriously, I'm letting you know now. You're either going to get fucked up or something of yours is. Stop being a bitch. Wanting to prove to Josh that she was willing to fight for him, Sarah took off her hoop earrings and got ready to slap a scrag she and her friends started going to the Applebee's where Rachel worked. They'd sit in her section and try to fuck her shit up, bumping her and trying to trip her over when she passed them carrying trays full of food. Rachel left more messages for Sarah, calling her fat and pathetic and telling her that Josh would never pick her over her hot, blonde self. Instead of getting angry at the way Josh was playing them off each other, the girls placed the blame on each other and got increasingly feral.
2: Teenage girls can be the worst.
1: Oh man. They when when they go in they go all in. They really do. They they do not see anything but what they are into. There is no like um peripheral vision and mm. <laughs> ability to uh use logic at times. So yeah, lots changed for me since then. Uh actually not a lot at all. Sarah told the cops that Rachel called her over 20 times in two hours to threaten her, and when the cops talked to Rachel, she said that Sarah had sent her a bunch of venomous emails. Neither of the girls had gotten violent, though, so the cops figured it was just a subtle scrag fight and that it wouldn't lead anywhere. They probably went like, catfight at them excitedly and then left. In April 2009, the shit really hit the fan and blood was spilled. Both Rachel and Sarah were under the impression they were Josh's girlfriend. Yep, there's so much a little Joshy to go around that he was two-timing them, yet again. Well, three-timing them, if we count his baby mama drama. He probably would have four-timed them, but he couldn't count that high.
2: Not without using his fingers.
1: And his fingers were busy jerking himself off. Rachel was upset that Josh had stayed with her the night before, then fucked off when the sun rose out of his ass in the morning. He was always telling her that she was the only one for him, but as sure as shit, didn't look that way.
2: His fingers were in many pies, and and the pies were really into it, and there were other pies queued up.
1: Yeah, and then the pies started started trying to kill each other. Yeah, because they wanted his fingers in them more.
2: Mm. So many pies.
1: Yeah, just avoid the pies if they have holes Pop- in them. Is what I say. The
2: pies are girls.
1: <laughs> yeah, pies are girls. Fingers are boys. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel kept seeing on Josh's MySpace that he was hanging out with his supposed ex, Sarah. Sarah posted photos of herself with Josh at the beach and posted that she'd been with him in New York over spring break. Rachel was royally fucked off by this development, but by this point, she can hardly have been surprised. To rub her nose in it, apparently Sarah messaged Rachel and said, Oh, how do you like my new pictures? That's with my man, not yours. And I'm assuming she was using the word man very loosely. Oh, very loosely. Very loosely indeed. Mm. On April 14, 2009, the wind direction had changed and Josh was hanging out with Rachel again. When Sarah logged onto MySpace, she saw Rachel had posted, Mood, loving my boo. Sarah texted Josh to see if it was indeed true and she was indeed loving her boo. At 1.06pm, Sarah wrote, "'Whatever, Josh. You get so mad at me for everything, "'but you don't give a shit when she puts something up or says anything. "'You always believe her.'" Two minutes later, she texted, "'It's like no matter what I do, she's always that much better.'" At 1.13pm, she wrote, "'All we fight about is her or something that has to do with her and it sucks. "'I hate fighting with you. I love you so much, but this shit hurts.'" Josh didn't bother straining his fingers to respond. At 6.36pm, Sarah texted him again, writing, You say you love me, but you don't even have the decency to text me back. Seven hours after Sarah's initial text, Josh texted back, Bring the movies. What? Oh, they must have organised to have a video night at some point. I don't know. Thrilled that Josh had deigned to respond to her, Sarah excitedly borrowed her mum's minivan to drive the few blocks to meet Josh at his sister's house.
2: Via Blockbuster to get Uh, the movies.
1: Oh, no doubt. Before she left, she wrote on her MySpace, I love you, baby. At the time, Rachel was at her place waiting to see Josh. She didn't know Sarah's plan to catch up with him and bring the movies. While walking her dog, Rachel heard a car horn honk. She later told police she saw Sarah driving past in her mum's minivan. Rachel said Sarah wound down the window and yelled at her, Stay away from my man! Oh, there she goes calling him a man again. Jesus, Rachel. Rachel told the cop she was so scared of Sarah that she called her ex-boyfriend Javier, told him she didn't want to be alone, and asked if she could come over to his place. She got her purse, then made the fateful decision to put a steak knife in it before leaving her apartment. Around 11pm, the time Sarah was supposed to be home, she and Josh were playing We at His Sister's House when the headlights of a car shone through the windows. It was Rachel. She texted Josh, Now I know why you're not talking to me, because you've got her! Josh, being the charming gentleman that he was, texted back, That's right, I don't like you no more. Why are you down this street? Go home. Rachel replied, No, I'll wait for her to go home. (laughs) Meanwhile, Sarah's dad was texting her as she had missed her curfew Just before midnight, Sarah said goodbye to little Joshy After she'd made sure Rachel had left As she was leaving, his sister and her friend asked for a ride to McDonald's And all three got into Sarah's mum's minivan On the way, Sarah passed a friend at a set of traffic lights Who told her they'd just seen Rachel a few blocks away Uh Oh Sarah sped towards where her friend had said Rachel was Her mobile rang and she answered it on speaker. Sarah and the others in the car heard Rachel scream, I'm going to kill you, you and your Mexican boyfriend. Turning a corner, Sarah saw Rachel outside a house, leaning against her car, talking to some guys. When Sarah pulled the van to a stop, it was on.
2: Like Donkey Kong?
1: Oh, yeah, like King Kong. According to Rachel, Sarah came at her with fists flying. But according to witnesses, Sarah didn't even have a chance to leave the van before Rachel ran up and stabbed her. Sarah collapsed in the driver's seat, but managed to grab her mobile and call Josh to tell him what had happened. After stabbing Sarah, witnesses say that Rachel threw the knife over a neighbor's house and calmly said, I'm done. Josh ran the two blocks to Sarah's house and told her dad that she'd been in a fight. Charlie drove to where the minivan was still idling. Sarah was on the ground, surrounded by paramedics. Charlie rushed towards her but was stopped by the police. He said, I knew she was dead. I knew there was nothing anyone could do. Rachel was sitting nearby smoking a cigarette. Charlie approached her. I said, Rachel, why? You stupid bitch. You couldn't fight with your hands? And Sarah's laying there in a puddle of blood. Rachel didn't answer. At Sarah's funeral in lieu of flowers, her family requested donations be made to Tarpon Springs Veterinary Academy. Sarah was only 18 when she died. Oh, wow. Wow. Rachel Wade was arrested and charged with murder in the second degree. She was booked into the Pine Ellis County Jail on a $500,000 bond and she stayed there until after her trial. At her trial, Rachel said she'd killed Sarah in self-defence and was afraid of her as she was several inches taller and bigger than Rachel. But her incriminating texts and voicemails came back to haunt her. There were heaps of them. Like tons Well you
2: read Quite a few of them Oh yeah. no
1: I've only read one I've got a couple now um, In an August 29, 2008 Voicemail She can be heard saying I'm guaranteeing you I'm going to murder you And in another one She says to Sarah You're a fucking fat bitch And I'm going to Fucking kill you I swear on my life So yeah This sort of this sort of evidence was really quite... Um, damning? Mm, very damning indeed. It's quite com-
2: it would have been quite compelling. Compelling is
1: the word I was looking compelling for, Compelling to actually.
2: the jury, I would say. Yeah,
1: I couldn't find that word, but that's what it was. I think,
2: you know, a bit of advice here, if you want to kill someone, don't threaten to kill them.
1: Yeah, like regularly on recorded voicemails. No. No. It should, it should be a surprise. Uh, yeah, people prefer it that way. People oh, love what? surprises. Oh, no, no one. I don't like surprises.
2: Well, I'd rather that than thinking someone's going to murder me. Just get murdered. <laughs> I don't know.
1: (laughs) Oh, Jesus, that went nowhere.
2: Yeah, I'm bailing out of this conversation. Oh,
1: do you have a parachute or are you just going to free fall?
2: Made out of nappies, remember?
1: Oh, I do remember. Oh, that's the best kind. Uh. So um, at the trial, Josh Camacho testified that he didn't consider either Sarah or Rachel to be his girlfriend at the time of the murder. He said he was sleeping with both girls and with his baby mama, but none of them were his girlfriend. To him, they were just friends with benefits.
2: Mm, What a douchebag. Oh,
1: for fuck's sake. On September 3rd, 2010, a now 20-year-old Rachel Wade was sentenced to 27 years in state prison. Rachel cried hysterically as her sentence was read out. Josh wasn't allowed at Sarah's funeral, but even if he was, he mightn't have bothered showing up. He's never visited Rachel or written to her since her arrest. Well, you know, they were just friends of his that he used to have sex with. Sometimes. Well, he can't
2: have sex with her now, so why would he hang well, out with her? Well,
1: exactly. Them? Why would he even bother?
2: That's right. Yeah. What, what a story.
1: So, um, anyone with a teenage daughter, I am worried about you and them. Yeah. Jesus Christ, huh?
2: Teenagers, eh?
1: I know, but what about Sarah's dad? Like, he was kind of like this guy's shit. He did everything he could to try. Or and... Charlie. Yeah, Charlie. Yeah, he tried. He did.
0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: All right, Barney. I believe it's time for you to get a
2: murdery. Well, I have a story here, Tara, and it is titled, When Darren Met Kevin.
1: Well, from what you said in the beginning of the show, it actually sounds like you have a story really similar to mine, but yours is about dudes and a fence.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the love interest here is, the, a, fence. is a chicken wire fence.
1: <laughs> uh, still sounds hotter than Josh.
2: Still sounds hotter than By Josh. By far. 51-year-old Kevin Scahill lived in Tungkilla in country South Australia. Tungkilla is a tiny town with a population of about 360 Thirty-seven miles northeast of the state capital, Adelaide. Fun fact, Tara. Mm-hmm. Tongue is a corruption of Tane killer, a paramiac Aboriginal word meaning ghost moth grubs.
1: And um it's not to be confused with that other town in Adelaide called Tongue Killer.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't like that place.
1: No. It's a little bit um
2: Yeah, leave Bum tongue alone.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's ours. Stop stealing from us. Don't copy me anymore.
2: Kevin lived in the area for a long time, more than 20 years. Okay. Although Kevin lived alone, he was a grandparent and had close ties with his family. Kevin was a good bloke, Tara, and everyone loved him. Well, almost everyone, Tara. Kevin had been having a dispute with his cranky-ass neighbour, Darren Locke. Remember that name? Mm-hmm. Darren Locke.
1: Well, not everyone can live next door to the uh, awesome and heroic Jason Donovan now, can they? I wish I did. I wish I did too. I'd set my house on fire just to watch him come and save me.
2: I'd love to do a podcast with him. Yeah, Jason
1: Donovan, we want you to be our friend.
2: Yeah, about murder or something.
1: Yeah, or, you know, saving people in your undies.
2: The two had argued about stormwater, which had been running off Kevin's property and onto Darren's property. Darren dug a trench along the fence line on Kevin's side, down his gravel driveway, which caused the stormwater to be diverted onto Kevin's driveway. Not cool, Darren. Kevin was not happy about this and told Darren using many bad words. Darren counted using some bad words of his own.
1: Like what? Moist? Um, panties?
2: Cosby. Epstein. Weinstein Spacey
1: Lots of bad words All the bad words All the bad words Maybe the odd cunt
2: (laughs) <laughs> oh no! Nothing, nothing as pedestrian as that. Oh,
1: okay. Nothing
2: as flowery and
1: and, and complimentary. Yeah,
2: that's that, <laughs> they didn't use formal language. This is what I'm trying to tell you. All right? Oh, they
1: were casual it people. was
2: very informal. Kept swear. Cosby,
1: this moist panties, that. I yeah. gotcha. I oh, gotcha. yeah, no,
2: it's the worst kind of words. Mm, you don't speak. You know, words. you it makes your it makes your mother blush, <laughs> and your dad slap your face.
1: Oh, yeah, I don't think it would really make either of my parents do anything
2: On September 10th, 2017 Kevin, in Darren's absence, took revenge for Darren's trench digging By digging a hole in his lawn And throwing soil at his house and onto his roof That afternoon, Darren returned home and noticed the damage And thought it was that bloody Kevin Dickhead next door He was right
1: Oh, that was Kevin's surname, Dickhead
2: <laughs> No, it's Lorky.
1: Kevin, dickhead, Lorkey, Maybe it was hyphenated.
2: Oh, yeah. Like bum cheeks, or do you put those together? Oh, well, I don't know. Alex
1: likes it when you spread them apart, I heard.
2: (laughs) 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 When Kevin in turn arrived home later that evening, Darren confronted him over the hole in his lawn, and a fight ensued. The fight was witnessed by their neighbour, Ronald Burton, who later gave evidence in court that he observed many bad words exchanged between the men.
1: Eat my fucking panties, you moist Cosby!
2: (laughs) As they stood on their respective sides of the chicken wire fence that divided their properties.
1: Seriously, I'm fucking sick of your shit, you cuntin' Cosby. You and your fucking dripping wet panties ruining my yard.
2: Darren threw a punch which struck Kevin in the face, causing a stubby of beer to fall from his hand.
1: Oh, game on, fuckers. Oh,
2: you make me drop my beer. Rawr,
1: Louis C.K. Ooh,
2: Louis C.K., that's a, that's a harsh run.
1: Prince Andrew! Mm.
2: Kevin went bright red and then threw a...
1: (laughs) Called him Johnny Depp and then started punching.
2: (laughs) Kevin called him Johnny Depp and went bright red and threw a retaliatory punch which connected with Darren's eye. Further punches were exchanged, Tara. Mm -hmm. Darren, copying the worst and sustaining a nasty cut above his right eye, then walked away, muttering to himself. He returned to his house.
1: Had a bit of a... Did ya? You? Hey, hit your little face. You're gonna have a yeah, bit of a cry. To get gonna
2: I'm have a computer. bit of a cry. I'm, I'm gonna, go gonna come to back. I don't care what you say. I'm dying. It's my yeah? fence. Me. You see that fence? Yeah, yeah.
1: nice one, Johnny Depp. Do you get all your lines read yeah, to you through one. an earpiece while uh, you're well, pretending to yeah, act well, in big like budget movies? I do like a glass movies. of wine
2: sometimes, so that's not really a bad thing to say me. <laughs> A, l- a little later that same evening, Kevin reversed his utility vehicle back and placed timber posts in the trench that he dug earlier in the driveway. Why? Just to make it, just to fuck his shit up, man. Okay. That's what all you do when someone puts a trench down your driveway. You put timber posts in it. That'll fuck him up.
1: I'm relating Don't more- you know? No, I'm relating more to my story where you just like think, just hurl insults at some chick.
2: None of this makes sense, all right? <laughs>
1: Don't really try to follow it too closely You just have to sort of experience the fuckery
2: Well Darren was watching this out his window And he came back out of his house wielding a spade He jumped the fence, approached Kevin Holding the spade vertically over his head And standing only a few inches from Kevin Steam was coming out of his ears Darren was heard to say I want to bloody hit you with this
1: You no good Cosby
2: But he didn't Tara In fact, no further punches or blows were exchanged.
1: Did they shake hands and decide it would be a good idea to to watch uh, The Bachelor together and maybe make some popcorn?
2: No, but it's funny you should say that. Like a hangry Tara, after a chicken salad, the situation eventually calmed. (laughs) I experienced that a bit today.
1: Oh, rightly so.
2: Darren returned to his property by again scaling the chicken wire fence.
1: Oh, wow. Is he some kind of Spider Man? Well, or is it a really short fin? It's, it's actually
2: not that high. It's about I, waist high on me. So it'd be up to your calves.
1: Yeah, mm. up to my ankles.
2: The next day, Kevin installed a number of no trespassing signs facing Darren's property and a number of floodlights in a row in his carport, each facing his nemesis neighbor's house.
1: That'll oh, show yeah. him.
2: No trespassing. Read that.
1: Yeah, read it. Read it and weep.
2: Also that day, Kevin purchased and installed a small, self-contained security or trail camera.
1: Oh, really? Uh, snail trail camera was it?
2: Yeah, you you have it. Only films that that bit just near your stomach, the bottom half of your stomach. Oh, so
1: that make a breathtaking photo, wouldn't it? No,
2: no, it's for surveillance. Okay. Pervert surveillance.
1: Pervert surveillance?
2: That night, he wrote in his nemesis notebook, (laughs) in his nemesis journal, the following entry, set up camera about 6.30pm, hung signs, installed security lights, locked doors. The following day, Kevin saw what appeared to him to be a gun lying against the hot water tank on Darren's property. That night, he wrote in his nemesis notebook, Monday, 12.35, gun by hot water service. He did a further entry on that night, Monday night, 7.30ish, Check camera and moved, no footage of SKS, flat battery on camera, try again tomorrow.
1: <laughs> oh, That's some mystery in between shit right there. It is, isn't
2: it? Now Tara, Kevin Scahill thought that the gun he saw was an SKS assault rifle, but in fact it was only a mostly harmless airsoft gun. An air gun capable of propelling plastic pellets.
1: Oh, so it's annoying still, but not deadly. Yeah,
2: no, it's basically a BB gun. Okay. Hmm. Un- a Barney <laughs>
1: black gun. It shoots out Barney badges. <laughs>
2: Handmade. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that hurt. They've got little pointy bits on them.
1: Yeah, it could definitely hurt. Yeah. I don't want one of those in the eye. Or do you?
2: Hmm. Oh, that'd be lovely. Thanks. Yeah.
1: I can throw one at you now! Would you
2: like me to shoot a badge in your eye? Oh yeah, that'll be all right.
1: I'll be very sorry. I'm, I'm well, up for it. Well, you know, our only patron levels above ten dollars oh, yeah. get a badge shot into their eye by Barney. <laughs>
2: <laughs> on Tuesday, September twelfth, twenty seventeen, Darren Lock took steps to modify the chicken wire fence by putting short strips of corrugated iron into the ground along the fence line on his side.
1: Oh wow! I so wouldn't give a shit about any of this. He's
2: fortifying.
1: Yeah, well, you've you got to fortify your castle. A man's home is his castle you've got to fucking fortify you gotta it.
2: You've got to fortify your fucking chicken wire.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's not very strong on its own.
2: Well, Darren was quite impressed with, he, with his work and he took photographs of the corrugated iron oh, fortifications. Breathtaking, no doubt. Breathtaking, breathtaking. I'm sure they <gasps> were
1: breathtaking.
2: <gasps> well, there it goes.
1: Oh, I hope I get it back. I need it for talking and life.
2: Later that day, Darren and Kevin were again involved in an argument over the chicken wire fence.
1: I think I've run out of bad words.
2: (laughs) A written entry in Kevin's nemesis notebook headed Tuesday 7.30 to 8 p.m. Recorded, words over fence yelled out, 9 o'clock p.m. Dickhead, come here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like what I write in my Barney journal.
2: It's a lot like what you write in your Barney journal. On Wednesday, September 13th, Kevin, who was a wool classer, had to go to work.
1: Well, the wool's not going to class itself now, is it?
2: So Tara, wool classing is the production of uniform, predictable, low-risk lines of wool carried out by examining the characteristics of the wool in its raw state and classing it accordingly. Some of the qualities a wool classer examines when classing wool are breed of the sheep, the age of the sheep... And there's the brands, the CD jowls and the shanks and, of course, spinning capacity.
1: Jesus Christ, Barney. Get on with it. All
2: right. So that's you don't want to know more about no, wool classing? I
1: would like to know less than I now know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, sorry about that. So, yeah, Kevin's gone to work at a shearing shed with, amongst others, his friend and employer, Philip Rowland, who is there as a shearing contractor. So a shearing contractor no, no, is...
1: No, 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 <laughs> no.
2: On that day Kevin and Philip finished at about 3 p.m. That's actually pretty early Tara. The reason they got to knock off early was because the sheep were wet.
1: Oh, you can't work with moist sheep.
2: Hey baby.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got to try it. Hey baby.
2: Yeah, yours is better. <laughs> Mine was about as sexy as syphilis.
1: Well, so's your normal, hey, baby, if uh, I'm being honest. Oh, come on.
2: <laughs> come on. So they did what any Australian knockabout bloke or broad would do.
1: They commenced drinking?
2: That's right. How did you know?
1: Ah, uh, That's what we would have done.
2: That's, that's true. In the shearing shed where they were, Kevin and Phil consumed four stubbies of beer each. They then moved to the Manham Hotel where they both downed about six schooners of beer. They then moved to the Palmer Hotel where they had a few more beers. I can't tell you how many because I think they lost count.
1: Yeah, they would have by then.
2: While there, Kevin suggested that they should return to his property and check the cameras. He probably wanted to write in his Nemesis notebook (laughs) again. Well, it was mostly because he was concerned about the gun he had seen on Darren Lorke's property. Phil drove them back to Kevin's house.
1: Oh, they no, Phil should not be driving. Uh, Neither of them should be driving. Phil
2: was fine with it. He couldn't uh,
1: couldn't walk, but he could drive. Well,
2: he's too drunk to walk, so he had to drive.
1: Oh, God, nah, nah, nah.
2: On the drive back, Phil stopped the vehicle and uh, had to urinate, during at which time Kevin smoked a big fat joint.
1: Was it a Camberwell carrot?
2: Well, I don't have the information on its girth or the providence of the said marijuana, so I apologise. Was it
1: shaped like a carrot and was it made in Camberwell?
2: Sure, why not?
1: Okay, good to know.
2: The two drunk bastards got back to Kevin's property at about 10pm. Shortly after alighting the vehicle, Kevin observed something in his yard and said to Phil, Shut up, shut up, I hear something. There was a moment's silence and then Kevin said, That cunt's in my backyard! Kevin crossed the fence into Darren's property. Phil, who was still in the vehicle, could not see anyone else and said, What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) As Kevin crossed the fence, he said into the darkness, What were you doing in my yard? Phil would later testify that by the time he got out of the vehicle, he could not see who Kevin had been talking to or whether indeed he was talking to anyone. He described the scene as deathly quiet with just the odd frog rippeting in the cool night air. it Phil crossed the fence into Darren's property and shortly came upon Kevin, who was on the ground wounded, with Darren standing next to him, holding a knife in his right hand. Phil took a swing at Darren, but missed. He then knelt down and looked at Kevin and was shocked to see blood coming out of his mouth. Phil frantically phoned triple zero. Now I have a transcript of what was said Tara Would you like to hear it?
1: I'm quite interested
2: There's been a pretty serious stabbing This cunt's got a knife of standing on top of this bloke I just got threatened He was going to stab me So yeah, helpful Phil, that's real helpful
1: I oh, like no address or anything? No, not yet Right. <laughs> okay Oh this fucking car did some shit
2: During the conversation that followed Phil was asked multiple times for an address He told the operator he was not aware of the number of the property. I'm at
1: Kevin's house, okay? Kevin's.
2: So Phil went to the front roadway to find out. He also told the operator that the local police in Tunkillo were fucking useless. (laughs) Eventually, he was able to give the address, and he also requested the attendance of the detectives. Phil then hung up. Right. I'll see ya.
1: Up um, bye. Stay fresh, cheese bags.
2: It was about this time that a second call was made to Triple O, this time by Darren Locke. He told them, oh, I got accosted by three blokes, one of them my neighbour, and I've hurt him pretty bad. He sort of charged me, mate, and I fucking gave it to him. And he's uh, gurgling a lot, and I don't, he don't look too good, mate, and the other two blokes are pissed off, and I don't know where they've got, but they're all drunk as skunks, mate. And there's been a bit of a problem, mate, between him and me and with our fence. <laughs> Later in the conversation, the operator asked, Can you tell me his name? Darren replied, Oh, Kevin somebody. I think it's Sky, something like that. I mean, this is all in the dark and there were people looking in my windows, my doors and sneaking around my place, mate, with with booming like phone light and stuff. And I got pretty scared, mate. There was three of them. Later, Darren could be heard to call out to Phil. You want to check on him? Because he's your mate. To which Phil replied, <laughs> Is he all right?
1: <laughs> Oh no, no one's really good in this crisis, are they? They're all drunk. Yeah, off their asses.
2: A third call was made at 10.31 by an ambulance service operator who phoned Darren back. He gave Darren instructions on how to perform CPR and asked questions as to the state of Kevin Skyhill's wounds. Darren could be heard calling out to Phil, asking whether Kevin was breathing, to which Phil replied, No, mate! In another phone call, Phil could be heard in the background saying... Can you get your mother out here? Quick, quick. You see, Phil had called his house. Mm. He wanted to speak to his wife, who had previously been a registered nurse. He then left to get her and bring her back to Kevin's property.
1: So much bloody, like, out Uh, of your mind drunk driving. I bet his wife was not particularly impressed by any of this.
2: She would have been slapping the rolling pin in her hand. Ah, he'd be in the the doghouse for
1: sure. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, the dog's sleeping, sleeping on your side of the bed forever now, Phil.
2: As he left, Darren was heard to call out to Phil, shouldn't have been on my fucking place. <sighs> By the time Phil returned, the property was awash with the blue lights of police and paramedics. Police Sergeant Karen Newman, she was the first responder, spoke to Darren Lorke at the scene and later testified to what he told her. Again, Darren said, who sort of charged me, mate? I fucking gave it to him. I was protecting myself, mate. They were stalking me. Two three blokes were stalking around my property in the dark, mate. They were all pissed and throwing rocks on my roof. To which Sergeant Newman asked, Who? Him! Kevin and the other blokes are on my place. By the way, Tara, police searched his roof and found no rocks.
1: No, well, maybe the rock fairies removed them. Or maybe that, like, imaginary third guy was a rock fairy or a rock eater and he climbed up and ate them. Well, even if there
2: were rocks on the roof, you don't stab a bloke.
1: No, no, like, maybe stay inside and call the police, perhaps.
2: Darren went on to tell Sergeant Newman, I saw a small light and I realised now it was a mobile phone light. I went up to it and had a struggle. I dropped the gun and then I'm not sure, I'm not sure where I had the knife, but the light kept coming at me and I waved the knife around in this manner. Stabby, stab, stab.
1: Yeah, he stab, 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 stab.
2: Sergeant Newman said, you stabbed him? Darren <laughs> replied, I didn't know it. He fell to the ground. I just thought he was pissed.
1: Oh, dear God.
2: Sergeant Newman asked Darren, where's the knife? He lifted up his top to show her that he had the knife inside of a sheath which was wedged between his pants and his body. He handed her the knife in its sheath. Here you go. At 11.28pm, paramedics advised Sergeant Newman that Kevin was dead. And at around 11.30pm, Sergeant Newman re-interviewed Darren Locke under caution. The interview was recorded on video and tendered at trial. During the interview, Darren told Sergeant Newman that he returned home at 9.30pm that night, observed that Kevin Skyhill was not at home and was attending to various tasks inside. I was sitting around here, yeah, watching a bit of TV, feeding a cat and doing what I have to do because I hadn't been home most of the day. And then, you know, it's a guess, I guess it was about 10 10 o'clock-ish, I saw the lights go on next door and then I heard them throwing stones on my roof and throwing other things over here, you know. And then I saw two shadows of people walking up the driveway through my lounge room window. I could hear a bit of yelling and stuff and talking because there'd been a bit of a dispute and he's assaulted me only a few days ago. So I knew there was something wrong. So I came out with my replica gun. It's a BB gun. You know, I've had it for many, many years. And the knife I gave you... and. I had it with me because of the threats and everything else, and I'm scared shitless. Anyway, and then I knew there were people around here. I could hear them. I knew there were at least three people, at least two, but probably a third. So I came out here. It was all dark. I could see absolutely hardly anything at all. And I saw Kevin over there doing something, and then I saw a guy walk around the side of my house here. Philip Rollins, I can identify that guy. Yeah, it was him. And then he went on back around there, and I didn't, and and he didn't see me. And then in the meantime, I'd slowly creep down there, and he had no idea I was there. Apparently, because I was drunk as skunks, you know. You can find out that <laughs> I've had this imitation gun in my hand, and then the light basically charged me. And by the time I thought it was, you know, sort of. Right against me, I just swung the imitation gun, and that got knocked out of my hand. It's only plastic, and I can't remember how or why, but somehow the knife is in my hand, and I just wildly sort of swung it. And then I realised it was him, and he fell to the ground. And then I think I got down because I've had a couple of drinks myself, not a lot, you know. I, look, I've got the flu, blah blah blah. And I think I've got down. I've I've, I've had a few drinks, and I looked at him, and I realised it was him, and I said I said something to him. Like, what the hell are you doing on my property? And then I realized he was bleeding. And I think at that point, I just saw a bit of blood somewhere in his face. And I thought I'd just sort of hurt him. He was saying something. I couldn't really understand it. It might have been just a mumble. So I thought he was okay. So I yelled to his mate to come and get him. And I didn't realize how hurt he was. I couldn't see any major injuries. And I started dragging him down down the driveway. And I was yelling at his mate to come and get him. And then I realized something was pretty wrong. And I yelled at his mate, you better ring the Bloomin' police. And an ambulance as well. (sighs) Now, that was actually from the court transcripts of what he said to Sergeant Newman. She really didn't buy this bullshit story.
1: Well, yeah. It sounds like he was stalking them. Yeah. Kind of. And, And, like, kind of hoping for some trouble or some shit.
2: (laughs) No, and the forensics really didn't match his story as well. And later, Tara, a jury didn't believe any of this horseshit too. Darren Locke was convicted of the murder of Kevin Skyhill on Wednesday, February 4th, 2019. Justice Michael David sentenced Darren to life in prison with a non-parole period of 20 years. Outside court, Darren Skyhill's son, Nicholas, said he was pleased with the sentence. There's no real winners, but it's a lot of weight off the shoulders. We are just going to try and rebuild from here. Everyone loved him three or four towns over. Everyone knew him. The world is a worse place without him in it. He was the kindest, nicest person.
1: Oh, wow. That was just such a waste, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, all murders are stupid. But, but this the one... ones
1: we've covered today are particularly daft. Yeah,
2: they're just particularly daft, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and like, it's not even like the people involved in them seem like they're that bad. They just get obsessed. Yeah. And then they get just so caught up in the, the drama of it all, you know?
2: Yeah. Oh, knuckleheads. man. Knuckleheads.
1: Yeah, bloody knuckleheads. That's what they are. You're they right. They really are. Bloody knuckleheads. Well, that
2: was fun, Tara.
1: That, that, was, that was pretty fun and, you know, a bit sad too. This brings us to the end of the episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank you, our beautiful, tremendous, breathtaking patrons hey, for baby. all your generous support.
2: We'd also like to say thanks to our Facebook moderating team. I'm looking at you, Lorraine.
1: Oh, and let's not forget about our monthly giveaways.
2: In the next few days, we'll be drawing the winner of our bloody murder Keep Kicking Against the Pricks weekend bag. Yes! And we've got a special treat for the next giveaway, but we don't want to reveal too much.
1: No, it's a brand new design that isn't even available yet, and it's fucking awesome. It is. If I do say so myself, I didn't make it. Barney made it. He makes them all. He's a bloody genius. Well, you're my
2: consultant.
1: I do indeed consult. I'm Have an you, insult consultant. Hey, I think this, you might know. Hey, you, you
2: just—I've I've submitted a few, and you've gone, "Hey, Barney, that's a bit shit. Do it better."
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the constructive criticism that yeah. uh, that really helps Barney learn.
2: This is this this is our relationship. This is how it works.
1: Oh, fuck off! I'm incredibly constructive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've been Barney Black,
1: and I've been Tara Saraband, and
2: this was bloody murder patron special edition.
1: Thanks for sticking around and we'll be back soon.
2: Goodbye and adios.
1: And keep kicking against the pricks. So, yeah, if that's you, please email us. That's bloody murder podcast at gmail. Now, if you want to... Oh so, okay. Dot com. Yeah, it is. Is it dot com? Yeah, yeah. okay, that's why I'm confused. <coughs> that's one of the many reasons why I'm confused.
2: That's because Barney didn't write it properly.
1: Yeah, well,
2: it all back to that. Ford Rodeo, Holden Rodeo. I don't know what the fuck. I don't know what's up or down. Oh, I don't even know what a car all is.
1: Oh, up and down. I think an
2: ATV's a car. <laughs> yeah. How would I meant to know the difference between a Ford and a Holden? I
1: don't know. I, I certainly didn't. I wasn't able to correct you, was I? I was uh, just like,
2: was it red? Well, just defer to Cambo's knowledge. I like his... He has a really sweet master.
1: Oh, oh, yeah.
2: He loves it when I say that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You you say that to him to try and
2: groom him though, don't you? Oh, yeah, I just want to get a rise out of him. Yeah, in his pant uh, Hey, baby.
1: Sarah Rose Lutterman was born on December 7th, 1990. Her nurse mother, Gay, and taxi driver father, Charlie, had been married for 16 years before they had their only child.
2: Her mother was Gay?
1: Yes, Barney.
2: Her name was Gay.
1: Yes, Barney. Oh, ah, oh, they're both right.
2: That's oh, crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. Oh my God! Those, hey, you know, your
1: insight has been amazing you, so far. And
2: people can do whatever they like, consenting. You know, I don't like. I don't believe in labels, except for dickhead.
1: <laughs> dickhead can fuck, fuck nuggets. Are uh, they not labels, Barney? Ah, uh,
2: well, you know. <laughs>
1: That certainly went nowhere, no, that, but at least that, it went there quickly. Yeah,
2: semi-permanent labels that can be peeled off and repositioned.
1: Yeah, you could just wipe them off and redo them. That's right. <laughs> Unlike the penis I drew on your forehead the last time you passed out. Yeah, dry, that, which that, was in permanent marker. So it
2: really won't come off.
1: No. I'm starting to think it's it's just sort of organically going there. I think it's getting a bit 3D, actually. I
2: hated it at first, but I think I'm coming around to it. I think I like it.
1: It makes it look like you've got a, a forehead stiffy.
2: Well, it looks like I've got more hair.
1: For Sarah to get to class on time, she had to get up at Sparrow's Fart while it was still dark and commute for over an hour. Did you hear that? Might yeah. have been just. That was what? a sparrow's fart, um, <laughs> I
2: thought it was something in my ear. Oh, I just went. <laughs> Why
1: do birds suddenly get flatulent?
2: <laughs> birds don't actually fart. I looked this up.
1: I know you. I know you did. This is the sort of important Barney research uh, that he does.
2: Yeah, no, they can't fart out of cloaca.
1: Nah, you could try, though. Yeah. You can certainly give it the old college try.
2: Well, chickens don't fart. That's a, that's, that, that's a, a thread I pulled on. And it put me deep down a rabbit hole of...
1: Chicken anus.
2: Of, of bird flatulence and <laughs> the way their stomachs work and cloacas.
1: Wow. And you've never gotten over it, have you? Uh, that,
2: was a, that was a week well spent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I regret nothing.
1: <laughs> Is that when you just wrote the episode on a couple of cocktail napkins in the toilet? Yeah. It <laughs> was a good episode. It was. I liked it. I don't fucking care. You know what? I feel a bit ripped off that I can't see your knees, though.
2: Yeah, well, you I know. I know, you know,
1: I'm feeling a little less turned on than I usually am Well, I've got know, to leave a record. little bit of
2: mystery there, Oh, you know?
1: Well, you know what it, it does. it your imagination. It does make me fantasise. I'm trying to remember what your little knee nubs look like now.
2: One looks like Mickey Rooney and the other one looks like Tally Savalas. <laughs> okay. Does that help?
1: Well, yeah, I'm not going to imagine the Mickey Rooney one because I've had a lifelong dislike for that little fuck.
2: Or maybe Ernest Borgnine.
1: Oh God! Now I hate both your knees. Keep on the long jorts, please. I don't need to see that shit. They were both pretty bad, those guys.
2: You ever sworn in front of your mum and your dad's been so horrified he slapped you in the face?
1: Sorry, you swore in front of your mum and your dad hit you. Ah. Uh, in the face. Ah. Uh, How old were you?
2: I don't know, about 13, called my mum a cunt and he slapped my face.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, I
2: deserved it, actually.
1: Is that how parenting works? I wouldn't know. I wasn't it did wasted. in the <laughs> 80s. Oh like, Yeah, god, definitely did in the 80s. Uh, yeah, my mum had to stop hitting me because I was bigger than her and I just, I just laughed at her.
2: <laughs> yeah. I
1: was like, really? Really, you little midgy? You think smacking me is going to make any difference at this point? I could crush you with one hand. Um, <laughs> My mum and I were in a taxi in Brisbane like several months back and the taxi driver was a real dick. And when I was going to my mum afterwards, I was like, God, he was fucking rude. And she's like, oh, that's because you swore in front of him and so he decided that we were common and he didn't like us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, see my swearing Woo, offensive to taxi drivers I was like, he's a taxi driver Can you imagine what he has seen and heard? Really? He got yeah. offended by my just random I N mean, words. he's
2: probably just happy that you didn't take a shit in his backseat Yeah,
1: and try to stab him and steal his money yeah. Nah, my mum is quite convinced I bought that one on myself But then again, that's sort of how she sees everything Well, I, th- <laughs> I, I think you're
2: both right Is that possible? Yeah <laughs>
1: Um, sure. I like it.
2: Way to sit on a fence, Barney, and it's a picket fence. Out oh, and you
1: like that? You like the pointiness on your bottom? Oh,
2: well, you know, if you've got an itch, you've got to scratch it. Uh-huh. Well, Kevin, in turn, no, no, that's no, I'm right.
1: Oh, well, that must be an unusual feeling.
2: That's <laughs> really weird. <laughs> what am I feeling? Is it pride? Is it fear? <laughs>
1: It's probably a mixture of both. I
2: think I'm just itchy.
1: Yeah, you look itchy because you keep scratching your your right nipple.
2: Well, I'm allowed to touch one nipple, remember? I I don't don't
1: recall actually agreeing to that.
2: I don't make the rules up.
1: Oh, really? Who does? I can
2: touch one nipple at a time. My own nipples, I'm talking about here, um, (laughs) listener, by the way.
1: We sit very far away when we record, just in case. I
2: would need quite a few broomsticks (laughs) to
1: sweep my dirty nipples clean. <laughs>
2: <laughs> to sweep your dirty nipples clean.
1: Oh. No,
2: there aren't enough broomsticks in the world to sweep <laughs> your nipples clean, darling.
1: How do they get so dirty? I don't even know. <laughs>
2: oh, God. <laughs>
1: I know. Also, I think we could end here because I'm not sure how we're going to come back from it. All right, that's it. I'm done. Yeah, come on. You know there's a beer dangling at the end of a stick in front of me that I'm not allowed to drink until we finish recording. So let's just call it it quits early.
2: Ah, you couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo.
1: (laughs) And look, I don't know that most cows would be into having their ass smacked with a banjo. Oh, cows love that. Yeah, really?
2: Hey, Bessie. You hey. up for a bit of ding, 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 ding. ding.
1: Oh, you <laughs> musical little
2: slut, i God you, love you. You want me to hit you in the butt with this banjo? Moo. <laughs>
1: what the fuck? Well, I didn't know I was going to end up going along with that uh-huh. today, did I? Yeah. When I woke up this morning, I, I didn't realise that was going to be something that happened. <laughs> Thanks, Barney.
2: On Tuesday, September 12th. Tuesday.
1: Tuesday. Tuesday.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Che- Tuesday. Yeah,
1: that's how the humans say Tuesday. it. Tuesday. Tuesday.
2: <laughs> Tuesday. Tuesday?
1: Tuesday. <laughs> Although I might be wrong. It's not like I know how to talk either. <laughs> it's it's like the, the deaf leading the deaf over here.
2: On Twansday, September twelfth <laughs> Twansday is a great day. It it's really between is. It's, nice. it's between Tuesday and Wednesday. <laughs> it's when you can get that extra stuff done.
1: Oh, fuck, I need a couple of Twins days, mate. I need, a, I, need a, I need a
2: Twins day in every week.
1: Yeah, at least one, maybe two.
2: You only get three Twans days in February.
1: They had, they had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on... And they were using sonic pressure on my
2: head since 1997.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus...